I'm spinning in circles and talking to myself. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. Welcome to a new spin on autism. Answers with host and international speaker and performer, Lynette Louise. Besides working on her doctorate in psychophysiology, Lynette has raised eight children, six adopted, and four of them falling somewhere on the autism spectrum. Laugh with her, cry with her, as she talks to both experts and parents and takes you through the often confusing, sometimes frustrating, sometimes overwhelming, but always fascinating world of autism. Hello and welcome. This is a new spin on Autism Answers. I am Lynette Louise, your story teacher host also known as The Brain Broad. And today is part three of our three-part series wherein I am my only guest. It's an interesting thing because, you know, you travel around the world and you call in different radio shows and go on television and always, uh, you know, be interviewed and talk about my opinions and share my ideas. And, And then when I do my show, I talk about other people's opinions and share their ideas and I just tack a story. On to the end, and I feel like, you know, I want you to have a chance to know some of the things I teach internationally and the differences that can be made. With that in mind, um, those of you who don't already know, listen up. Those of you who already know, listen up, because <laughs> Fixin' in 5, the series that I do, uh, using, you know, going to different homes around the world where we do five episodes for five different families internationally for free and gift them with neurofeedback and let the cameras roll and show if it works or it doesn't, and it does. <laughs> series 1 of the Uganda family is available for a limited time right now. This is 2015, in case you're listening to this podcast way in the future. Um, So this is February, uh, just Valentine's weekend of 2015, and it's available till the 21st. It's the full set, and it's the director's cut. I really, really, really suggest you get it. It's about, I think it's $187 for the full set plus shipping, so about $197. So it's coming in under $200, and you'll get more teaching than you'd ever get for that kind of money and also be able to watch it in action, which is very different than just reading a book about how something is done or um, hearing the rules of a thing. It's, it's one thing to, to be told what should be done or watch somebody sitting at a table or watch an exercise. It's another thing to watch a whole life unfold differently. And that's what happens in this series. You watch the entire life of the child and the mother and, and the community unfold a little differently. So she uh, goes a long way, uh, both the mom and, and the child. So I really, 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 really suggest you get that. Uh, it's a great way to constantly remind yourself of what you need to do different, how you need to feel different, how you can embrace your child, whether you're, whether you're a caregiver or an educator or you're the mom or dad, you embrace your child to optimal learning while at the same time having them love you back while you love them. It's a beautiful way to be with somebody. Yes, I do talk about brain science. Yes, there is neurofeedback in it. But there are many, many, many more gifts in this show than that. And you don't need to have neurofeedback in order to be benefited by the show. Quite the opposite. It will also, though, guide you if you do decide to go to a practitioner for neurofeedback and, in fact, take your your series with you and say, watch this before you treat my child. Um, 
It's especially uh, pertinent for autism and seizure disorder, this particular family, but there'll be more, and there'll be all kinds of different disorders, so keep an ear out for that. The way to get this series, and again, remember, it's a limited time only director's cut, so it's like six hours of exampling footage and teaching and, and interesting stuff that happened in Uganda while we tried to figure it all out and, and work without electricity and all kinds of fun stuff. Uh, the way to get it is to, if you have a Roku box, you can already watch it on the Autism Channel. Uh, but you'll watch it in snippets. It's not quite the same. And it's not the final director's cut. So I suggest you get this one, and it'll be a collector's edition, I believe. So uh, you go to LynetteLouise.com. That's LynetteLouise.com. And there's a button on the home page that says Fix It in 5 Reality Series. Go ahead and click on that. And then you'll see, you know, some snippets and explanations. And if you want to fill out the form to order, you go ahead and click. But remember to do it before the 21st of February, 2015, because then it goes off of sale from there, and we have to start looking for distribution channels and probably trim it down and not give you quite as much information. So please, please, please um, think of that as a way of helping yourself help your child in, so that you can love them in a new and, and special way. And that leads me to today's third and final <laughs> Lynette-only series topic. And that question would be, does my autistic child love me and how can I tell? <clears throat> well, the answer is easy, yes. <laughs> you know, the myths about autism are very frustrating for me because I have never met an autistic child that doesn't want to hug me, sit on my lap, hold my hand, uh, have, have their head rubbed while we talk. Affection is totally desired by all people on the spectrum. But their sensory system will often make it so that they show and want that affection in a particular way. So I'm going to give you an example right off the top. Because the answer is totally yes. Even though you'll hear many, many, many parents say he doesn't care if I'm there or not, he, he, wouldn't, he, you know, he won't even miss me. This is not true. It's just not shown in the way that you're used to seeing it with neurotypical kids. So let me give you an example of a sensory issue when it comes to affection, and then we'll talk a little bit about, or I'll talk, I'm the only guest, <laughs> I'll talk a little bit about the concept of, you know, they just turn their back and walk away, and so it looks like they don't care. So um, on the sensory issue, there's a lot of kids, for example, that have a, a really sensitive neck, ears, chest. And so what they'll do is, if you go to hug them, they'll have to pull away. They might, if they really want to, you know, comply and hug you because they're made to comply or because they just really want to show you affection, um, either way, they'll sometimes do things like turn their back for a hug, try to get a back hug, or duck their head down. And so that when you wrap your arm, try to imagine this, you're open-armed and you take the child into your arms and they duck their head down so that the thing that hits your chest area or your body, depending on their height, is their, the top of their head. And it's sort of, and then they sort of pull their chest back and away and that will make it so that they're protecting that region and not getting any contact. Now, I've seen many, many 
people who are playing and loving on, on these kids then go, oh, come on, and you really pull on them and push and tickle and jump and squeeze right? um, and ignore this message. And if you ignore this message, you put the child in a defensive posture where they're like, please don't touch me. Please, you're hurting me. So just imagine that. Here they are really, really wanting to love on you, really, really wanting to give you affection, but every time they show their willingness for that in the way that they can do it comfortably, you sort of attack them and make it hurt. And that will lead to a child who doesn't want to be touched. They'll say, yeah, yeah, sorry, touch is dangerous and painful, and they'll start pulling away. Now, I've never, 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 never met a child on the spectrum who doesn't have areas of the body that are really comfortable and adore contact. It's often hands or feet or head or back. Wherever it is, that's where the affection can begin. And then the sensory system will sort of heal itself if you're lucky. <laughs> if you give a lot of attention in the areas where the, the sensory system is set up to accept it, and then you sort of get them comfortable. So let's say, let's say it's a child with this chest issue. What I might do is, you know, just say, it looks like your chest is, and explain, explain. Just because your child isn't talking doesn't mean they don't understand. So explain. Say, it looks like maybe you're pulling your chest away, so I'm going to find out, you know, where it feels good and try the shoulders and squeeze the shoulders maybe. And if that's okay, then you can start there and slowly move to the chest. But there's no rush. This can be years. You can get affection all kinds of ways. Um, a lot of people use things like brushing and tapping, and those methods are, are nice. They are, but they're very, um, they're very mild. They don't make a huge, huge, huge change. They make a small change. So you really want to try and uh, think in terms of something stronger that will really go straight for the brain re sensory motor strip region. So that's why I love neurofeedback, because we can just sort of circumvent this long long <laughs> road and say, no, let's go straight to the problem. But regardless, if your child is not nervous that you're going to attack them, they'll relax. And when they relax, all of those sensory, those sensors in the skin that are heightened because of fear and stress also relax. And so now being touched becomes easier. And when you always explain, but don't act like they're going to have a problem. You just go, oh, oh, it looks like you're pulling away. Do you want me to touch like this? Do you want me to touch like that? Assume they want you to touch. Don't teach them they don't want you to touch. So many people will do that. They'll say, oh, he doesn't like to be touched. And then the child goes, yeah, that's easier. I don't like to be touched. It's just not true. It becomes true because we teach them it's true. Don't teach them it's true. That's going to make a huge social problem later, a huge romance problem later. It's going, to, it's going to set up the brain to not do the developing that it needs to do. Your brain can't, you know, we talked about this, um, I think, last time. Your frontal lobes can't develop if no one's encouraging problem solving. You know, if everybody's asking for compliance instead of cooperation, and your sensory system can't straighten itself out if it's not getting sensory information. So really, we don't want to further the autism by backing off of it, but we do want to respect and honor it and, and move towards the child in a way that they get comfortable. So that's really the balance that you're after. So trust me, trust me on this. 
I really, 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 really mean it. I've never met a child or adult with autism that doesn't like affection. I've just never met that person. And I have met many, many, many hundreds of children and adults with autism. So please think about this. All right, so let's now move to the other concept that everybody, you know, just gives lip service to, especially in movies and on television. They'll say, you know, oh, my child is, uh, you know, he doesn't care at all if, if I come or go. I could leave him with anybody. It wouldn't make a difference at all. Um, I, again, I, I don't think that that's true. I haven't seen that to be true. I have seen more extreme cases of apparent indifference in some kids than in others. Um, some kids are very clingy and only want their parents around and only want certain caregivers around. They don't necessarily attend to these parents and caregivers in the way that a neurotypical child does, but they're often very clingy. So, again, this myth is perpetrated by people who really haven't had enough exposure to all the different types of autistic folk. Now, if you do have somebody who appears to be extremely indifferent to whether you're there or you're not there, you want to step back and ask a few questions. One is, on what are you basing that? So here's a really common thing. Um, this, this is going to bring it down to like a, a simple example, and I know that it's much bigger, but you know, sometimes you have to tell a simple example to get a bigger concept. So it's really common for an autistic person to bring you um, an item that maybe they want open. So let's say they want a jar open. So they bring it to you and they hand it to you and then you start to open it and they feel like, good, my job here is done. They're going to take care of my needs and they walk away. And they'll circle back and get it later. That's super, super common. And so a lot of times people feel like they're just being used as sort of a, a service provider. Well, if you provide the service, <laughs> you are. And it's kind of your fault because if they can just hand you something and you'll just automatically open it and set it down and then they'll come back to it later, there's no reason for them to learn anything different. So you want to slow that down and they hand you something and you go and you say, oh, do you, looks like maybe you want me to open it. Get your hands at the ready as if you're going to open. And as they walk away, go, oh, oh, you're walking away. I guess you don't want it. I thought you wanted me to open it. And now set it down unopened. Most times this only takes a few repetitions. And, you know, they might yell or scream a few times because they're used to you doing what they're, what they're asking you to do without asking. But um, very quickly, if you're consistent, they'll go, oh, okay, I have to stand here. And say, well, if, you know, if you want me to open it, stay with me so I'll open it. And then as soon as you open it, they'll probably walk away. And then you'll have to say, oh, I guess you didn't want it. And you'll have to close it again. Now, this goes through a few steps until finally they're standing there and saying, thank you. <laughs> open, please. Thank you. So this is, you know, really clear and kind of obvious as far as step by step by step how that would change a behavior. But if, if you interpreted their walking away as them being indifferent to you or not caring about you or using you and then did it anyway, first of all, you're the one that's increasing this behavior. And secondly, it has nothing to do with that. They don't know how to keep their focus on it because the job is done. 
You see, it's a focus problem. When somebody has difficulty with focus, the second that they feel like the thing is accomplished, and if you're consistently opening it without being asked, the thing is accomplished the second they hand it to you. So the second they feel like the job is accomplished, they let go of focusing on it, and their mind now shifts to something else. And they might go and do a circuit or a stim with something or whatever it is that their something else is. And then, you know, circle back around and go, oh, there's my drink, open. <laughs> so, or my, you know, jam or my pudding or whatever the heck it was. So the point is that we further their behavior by catering to it, and yet you don't want to torture someone. So the way that you don't further that behavior of apparent indifference or being used that is so often exhausting to caregivers and parents is you just don't do it. And yet you stay ready to be helpful. And that's the secret. You stay ready to be helpful and you say you're ready to be helpful. You just need them to signal you that they're still interested. And then you tell them how that looks. You know, you stay with me while I open it. You know, keep your, keep your face aimed in my direction while I open it. Things like that. You have to actually break it down because there's a lot going on for someone with autism. Often it's very hard for them to stay, just stand in one spot and keep their focus on you because their sensory system's challenged and their focus system is challenged and their frontal lobes are challenged. And I, they often have to use movement just to stay in the game. So if you're asking them to do something hard, you have to be sort of like the movement. You have to be interesting. You have to be stimulating. You have to be, you know, saying, it's coming. I'm opening it. Here it is. I love that you're looking. You have to use compliments to say, yes, stay with me, stay with me, stay with me. So in a, in a case like that, you don't end up feeling like they're indifferent and don't care because you're going to be, you know, the pièce de résistance. You're going to be the person that is so fantastic because you're informing them and helping them and rewarding them and complimenting them. And even if they do a lot of turning and walking away, you'll understand it. You won't take it to mean they don't love you. I'll get a little deeper into that, but first I want to remind you that you are listening to a new spin on Autism Answers. I'm Lynette Louise, your story teacher host, also known as the Brain Broad, and today is part three of my three-part series, wherein I am my only guest. And appropriate to the weekend of February 14th, I am talking about love, how we interpret the love of an autistic person, and how they interpret our love in a way. Um, so this is a perfect, I think this is the perfect subject to close the three-part series on because it's one of the biggest problems. If you can't feel loved by your child and your child can't feel loved by you, you're in a bit of a problem. And we want to fix that. So I am sharing of myself and with my opinions and I hope it is helping you. Uh, remember to get much more clear information from me. I think the best thing you can do is go to my website, lynettelouise.com Click on Fix It in Five Reality Series and order the six, the six hours. It's a five DVD set of Fix It in Five Uganda. It's ready. It's director's cut. There's lots and lots of information. You get an overview of who I am, what, you know, what neurofeedback will do, brain science, but more importantly, 
you get information on how to use the right responding techniques to get the kind of love and affection that you really want, the kind of responding, the kind of forward momentum. You get the, the ability to be a family, to raise optimally your child in joy and pleasure and not have it be a big struggle where it's this technique and that technique and stick them in this, you know, and they come home and have a meltdown. There's no need for that. There really isn't. I mean, there are moments, sure, in all parents' lives, but there is no need for the story that everybody's living. And I'm betting every cent I have to try and, and get it out there and have you see that you don't need to live that way. So please grab that series and help me, help me continue to make these um, and also and benefit yourself and share with your educators and share, you know, show, share it everywhere. Show it at your, uh, at your church. And, and let's, let's really make a movement where people come to understand what is truly possible when it comes to working with someone who's autistic. Oh, and seizure disorders as well. This, this little girl has that as well. Okay, so back on, on the track of the love of your autistic child. Um, All right, so let's say, I I know I gave you an example that was more related to sort of skill development, you know, the open, the jar thing. It's it's pretty related to skill development, and it's related to that feeling that people have when they feel like a servant. And that's a little different than the feeling that you have when you just feel like they don't care when you leave and they don't care when you come back. And certainly I have met kids. Uh, you know, young and old, that have that um, apparent indifference to their family where they're off in their room and the parent leaves and the kid shows no reaction when the parent says, okay, I'm leaving now, and, and they stay doing their thing, and then the parent goes and then they come back and I'm back, and the child has an apparent indifference. And I think that if you are truly honest with yourself, you will come up with the realization that your understanding whether they care or not is based on neurotypical behavior, not on somebody with the kind of challenges these kids have behavior. So, for example, if your base... Yes, you can use that, Dar. Go ahead. Sorry. That's my son asking permission for something. (laughs) Because now he has permission for everything. It's so great. Anyways, back, back on task. If you're, if you're deciding that um, the child is indifferent because they don't look at you or say, oh, mommy or daddy, please don't go. When will you be home? And have their meltdown in that moment or have their, their worry in that moment or have their face turn to you in that moment or their words come your way, if, if you're basing it on the neurotypical behavior of, say, your other kids or your neighbor's kids or you when you were a kid, if, assuming you're neurotypical, I wasn't, um, then, you know, then you are probably going to be disappointed and you are probably going to make this assumption that the child doesn't care. I suggest you do something else. I suggest you chart it and see how their behavior is in a bigger arc. For example, are they nervous as you're getting ready? Do they stim even more than usual as you're getting ready? If, that's, if they're stimming even more than usual, more intensely, you know, just really focus deep in, is it because they are going to miss you? And are you interpreting that as they can hardly wait till you go? Here's the thing. We, we don't know the real answer. 
So even when you graph it, you could end up with uh, a graph that says, you know, stems really intensely when I'm getting ready to go, relaxes while I'm gone, stems really intensely after I get back, and then sort of gets in the rhythm of the norm. And you could say, well, there's clearly a curve of change here, and you have a choice. You can say, this stimming intensely before I go is because they worry about me leaving, and then once I'm gone, they sort of relax because there's nothing they can do, and then when I get back, they're a little annoyed with me, right? And then they, or they're like, where were you? And they don't have the language to ask. And so now they're a little frustrated, and so they get into their stim deeper until they feel leveled out. Or the exact same child, exact same behavior, different parental viewpoint. You can say, look, they're stimming, they're stimming so much. They don't care at all about me. They won't look my way. They don't anything. They're probably... They don't, they're just excited to see me go. And then they relax when I'm gone, so they're just, they're just so, they don't care about me at all. So you can take the exact same behavior and say that the stimming is because they want you to leave or the stimming is because they're afraid that you'll leave. You can interpret stimming any way you want if you don't have the information from the person. And even if they have language, the amount of explaining fluidly that they are able to do about their feelings is really affected if they're on the spectrum. So it's up to you to interpret your child as loving you. I know that sounds, for a lot of people, they're like, they're like, how, how do I know what's true? You know, when you have your baby, neurotypical or non-neurotypical, it doesn't matter. When you had your baby, it didn't know whether it loved you or not. It just had all these feelings. It was connected to you. You fed it. It, it liked the way your voice sounded. It responded differently. And we started calling it the word love. And we, we taught them that they love us. We can just as easily teach them that they don't. And some parents do. So there's no such thing as the child that isn't taught whether they love you or not. And this is an important, important point because so many parents are teaching their child that they don't love them. They're talking around them. And if this is you, just stop. Just change it. You know, if you're talking around your child and saying things like, he doesn't care when I come or I go, you know, he doesn't even love me, he's completely indifferent to me, nothing I do matters, that's what you're teaching him is true about his feelings. And then you send them to some class and you say, okay, I want you to tell me when you're happy and you're sad and this is how the face looks. And, and you think that that's teaching feelings, but in fact, you were teaching feelings already. And you were teaching feelings that match the myths surrounding autism. And so you were furthering their autism in this, in this instance and you were furthering the myth and making it more and more difficult for all the families coming behind you and all the children coming behind you and for you, and for your child. So if you're doing that, just change it. Start doing it different. It's really funny. Kids are so awesome. All kids, they just want you to go, oh, I was wrong. I made a mistake. From now on, we're doing it this way. And please forgive me for the things I said in the past. And, you know, it's a bit confusing. It's hard to know because you don't speak like the other kids, but I'm going to figure it out. And obviously, you, you love me because... You stim more before I leave, so you, you're probably nervous. So I just, I'm going to help you with that. 
You know, I'm going to play with you more just before I go. I'm going to give you more of a schedule for my absence. I'm going to phone you and have it put on speakers so you hear my voice. Whatever it is, you now teach that they love you. And guess what they learn? That they love you. It's that simple. Because they do. They do. Please, they do. So on the question of, does your autistic child love you? The answer is yes. Do they do it different? The answer is yes. How do you recognize it? I think I just helped you. I hope I helped you. The point is, you recognize it by deciding that that's what it means, and then you teach to that. And most people are doing the opposite. Turn that baby around and everything changes. I'm Lynette Louise, your story teacher host, otherwise known as the Brain Broad. This is a new spin on autism answers. Thank you for being here, because without you, I'd just be talking to myself. Next episode, I'll have a guest. Thank you for joining the show today. Lynette is the author of the refreshingly honest and at times hilarious new book, Miracles Are Made, A Real-Life Guide to Autism. You can purchase this and other materials by looking on the webtalkradio.net website and clicking on the covers. You can also click through to her Facebook page and check out any show you may have missed by looking in the archives. We'll see you soon for another edition of a new spin on autism. Answers. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. I can't hear you.